be here and to open God's Word with you all. Welcome to the month of May. It is hard to believe that it's almost summertime, which is my favorite time of the year, and in just three months, my girls will be a year old, which is also kind of strange to think about. And speaking of twins, we are going to be looking at a set of twins today, specifically Jacob and Esau, but we also have to get through Isaac as well. So we have a lot to do this morning, so we will pray and then we will get going. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be here and to open your word and to read from it and to learn from it and to meditate upon the truth that you have given to us through it. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today. I pray that you would bless the uh, people here who are listening, that their eyes would be open to truth, their ears would be receptive to it, and their hearts would be accepting of it. I pray that I would be decreased and Christ increased, and we pray that this be glorifying to your Son, whose name we pray. Amen. So Easter took us on a little bit of a detour from this list in Hebrews chapter 11, and I think it was appropriate to detour a little bit. We got to focus more on the uh, specific acts of Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and then last week, pastor preaching on uh, the last bit of Revelation, which was a wonderful and hopeful and uplifting blessing to us. But today we are back on track in Hebrews 11, and Though we read that whole section, we're going to be focusing on two verses today, specifically verses 20 and 21. But to get the context of where we're going, we're going to have to look back at the book of Genesis as well. And the patriarchs are kind of an interesting uh, case study in faithfulness and God's promise. And I almost titled this message, a, The Faith of a Dysfunctional Family. Because when we really take a close look, and if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even have to actually look that closely to see all the issues and the problems that the patriarchs faced in their own family. There are plenty of issues in Abraham's family, specifically this direct line that we're going to look at this morning. But this should be comforting to us for a couple of reasons. The first is that when we read this, we realize that we're not alone in our own dysfunctional families, in our own dysfunctional lives. And that is very encouraging, because we all have dysfunction in our lives. And the second thing is God can and will use whatever means and whatever ways he so desires in order to accomplish his will and his promises. So let us first look at verse 20 in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll turn to Genesis chapter 25, and we will start there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, it's interesting to me that the author of Hebrews chose, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was led to put this specific thing down in order to draw us to the faith of Isaac. I would have chosen something different, but that's probably why I did not write the Bible and somebody else did. But he invoked future blessings for Jacob and Esau. Out of all the patriarchs, Isaac is probably the one we know the least about. We don't know a whole lot about his life other than what's given to us here in just these few chapters of Genesis. And he seems like a very ordinary person from the grand scheme of things, a rather quiet life. Abraham, if we look at him, had some pretty significant events in his life that brought a lot of excitement um, to it. We have the initial call to go, to leave his land, and to go to a land that God will show him. 
We have a time of violence and battle in his life as he goes and rescues his nephew Lot, who was taken prisoner. We have this awesome picture, and I don't mean awesome as, as we would say today, like that's really cool and that's really fun, but this, this, this recognition of God's power and his might as he stood and watched the destruction of the cities Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the witnessing of the cutting of the covenant with God, where God was the one who went down between the, the pieces of the covenant that he gave to Abraham. We have seeing God's promise come through for a son to be born to him and Sarah in their later years of life, something that we would call impossible, but as the Bible says, everything, anything is possible with God. And we have the testing of his faith in the almost sacrifice of Isaac that we touched on a few weeks ago. Jacob, too, had several interesting, exciting, and significant events in his life. He has a wrestle match with God. We have him fleeing from his brother for many, many years of his life. He worked 14 years to marry one girl. That's dedication, something we wouldn't probably see much today. And then he ended up marrying two women and having two concubines, and then twelve sons and one daughter. And then we have him losing his son, Joseph, and then reuniting with that same son many, many years later. It's very exciting and wonderful things go on in their lives. But Isaac, do you ever see those bumper stickers as you're driving down the, the road that says, my child is an honor student? or proud parent of a U.S. Marine, or something like that. And then you see the interesting ones that are just, my child is a terrific kid, which to me is kind of another way of saying my kid really hasn't done much in life, but I want to recognize him anyway. I kind of feel like that's what bumper sticker would be on Abraham's donkey as he was going from place to place. Like, my, my child's a terrific kid. On the surface, there really isn't a whole lot to be said about Isaac. But when we actually look at his life, we do see a few things worth pointing out. Up to this point, we know that Isaac is the promised child that God had given Abraham. Abraham had one son, but it was not the child of promise. He was given Isaac. He was brought up to the mountain with Abraham to be sacrificed to the Lord and he joined in Abraham's faith. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I personally believe that Isaac knew exactly what was going on when he was going up to that mountain. They didn't bring a sacrifice. Isaac put two and two together. I think he was old enough to do that. And so in that event, he too shared in the faith of God that his father did before him as he walked alongside his father. And if there's anything that we can say at this point in the story is that those honor students those people who have achieved much in their life, it's all nothing if they have no faith. And so one thing we can say about Isaac was that he was recognized as being a man of faith. We're not going to stand before God with our report cards. And my parents are very, very glad about that when it comes to me. And I say thank the Lord for that as well. But the greatest achievement that we can strive for is to hear those seven words at the end of our life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That is what matters. And Hebrews records that Isaac as was being and was 
faithful. Now in Genesis chapter 25, Isaac is going to show faith. We're going to see this picture of faith, this first picture of faith in Isaac, starting in verse 19, and it says this, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isaac prayed for his wife because she was barren. First, Sarah was barren. Now, Rebekah is barren, and soon in the story, Rachel, we will find out that she is also barren. But oh, though that they were barren, all three of these women bore children that received great blessing from God. But Isaac prayed for his wife, specifically, and the Lord granted his request. I think as parents, we want different lives for our children in some ways than what we lived, specifically in the way of mistakes. We don't want our kids to make the same mistakes we do or did, and so we, cho- we hope to raise them in a way that they will avoid those kinds of mistakes. And I think that's good because we see here in Isaac where when his wife was barren, he prayed and inquired of the Lord instead of trying to do things himself as his father did before him with Hagar. Isaac turned to the Lord. And of course, we know that when she did conceive, she bore twins. She had twins, and they struggled within her. And here's where we see some faith of Rebekah, because Rebekah was concerned as they wrestled within her, and we are told that she too inquired of the Lord. And God told her this, that you have two nations inside of your womb, two people who will be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. These are words every mother wants to hear. Your two children will be great nations, and they will be divided. Of course, we know that Jacob is the righteous line, the Jewish people, and Esau, the Arabic people, intermarrying with the Ishmaelites, whom Muslims trace their lineage back to. And of course, we know that the Jewish people and the Muslims have been in conflict to this day. But great faith was shown in this conception and birth of Esau and Jacob, where we begin to see the similarities between Isaac and his father Abraham is when Isaac is in Gerar. God tells Isaac not to go down to Egypt, so he doesn't and settles in Gerar. In Gerar, the people ask him regarding his wife, and Isaac's response was what? She is my sister. Where do you think he learned that from? Abraham did it twice. Abraham was selfish and feared for his own life, and he was willing to even hand over his wife to a stranger in order to preserve his own. Isaac told the same lie for fear for his own life. In the story, Isaac's sin here, in the story of Isaac's sin, Abimelech sees Isaac one day. Uh, The King James and the LSB say caressing his wife. The ESV says laughing with his wife. He was having a good time with his wife. Rebecca, and he realizes that she's not his sister. And further consequences are thus spared because of this, which is good. God worked in a way that spared 
these consequences. But then we get to the part that demands our attention in light of Hebrews chapter 11. And we go over to Genesis chapter 27 now, starting in verses 1 and 2. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now this strikes me as a little bit dramatic. I kind of pictured Isaac here as a grown man with a cold. And I can say this because I am that man when I get a cold. I start to write out my will. I call my wife and my parents and tell them that I love them and to remember me when I'm gone. And that all happens with a runny nose. I am a useless, useless and pathetic being when I am sick. And here, Isaac, while I do grant him a little bit of grace in this, he is advanced in years, and he, like all of us, don't know the day of our death. But here's the thing about Isaac when it comes to this situation. He's saying, I, I need, I go get me some food. I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. And then he lives 40 more years more. I'm 30. That's more than my lifetime that he continues to live. He's like the guy who just doesn't want to die. And so I grant him a little bit of grace if it was six months or maybe a year later, but 40 more years. So this strikes me as there are some other motives going on here, which we will get to in just a moment. But we do know a fact of this, that he is pretty old and he is blind. If he was not, the events that come after would not make sense. They wouldn't actually work. There are also similarities here between Esau selling his birthright and his blessing to Jacob. Esau comes home from being out and tells Jacob that he's starving to death, and Jacob's making soup, and he says, give me some of that soup or else I will die. He sounds about as dramatic as his father. This shows us one thing about how Isaac viewed the birthright. He didn't hold it in a very high place in his eyes. But Jacob didn't have to do it this way. This deception that he and his mother are about to take on didn't have to happen either. Because God had already declared that the older would serve the younger. God had already declared that the younger would get the blessing. And so here they are taking things into their own hands as well and trying to push the will of God. God's word was secure and sure. Jacob would get the birthright, but like his grandfather, they took things into their own hands. And Calvin writes this, When Jacob received the blessing from his father, this token confirmed to the oracle by which the Lord had preferred him to his brother, for the benediction here spoken of was not a mere prayer, but a legitimate sanction, divinely interposed to make manifest the grace of election. With this, he also writes, Wonderfully was the faith of the holy man blended with foolish and inconsiderate carnal affection. Isaac knew what was said about his sons. I have no doubt about that. Yet he still favored Esau. To favor one of your children over the other is just bad to begin with, and it opens up a whole lot more issues. But Isaac seeks to give Esau the blessing that God made clear was going to go to Jacob. Go out and do this, and then come back, and I'll bless you. Because Isaac lived more than 40 years, we can be tempted to think that Isaac just wanted to get this blessing to Esau. 
that he wanted to just get it out of the way and to bless his favored son. So much so that even while Jacob is deceiving his father, Isaac does not seem totally convinced that he is blessing the right son. Verse 20 starts with this, But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God has granted me success. And notice, it's just one lie after another, one deception after another. When we fall into sin and when we make those decisions and we continue going, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 24, Are you really my son Esau? Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my sons. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. This shows that the blessing is not just empty words that can be thrown around. This was God Almighty. And what furthers Isaac's faith in this is that he seems to know that. He doesn't want to just give this blessing away. He wants it to be sure because they are not his own words. They are of God and his promise of the future. Yet, Isaac ignores the details of it. He ignores the prophecy of the older serving the younger, and he looks beyond Esau's marriage to pagan women that caused him so much grief. Isaac ignores all of this because Esau satisfied a need for him. He gives him good food. And how often do we fall into this as well? We have promises of God. We have the entire scripture. And we can and should read it every day and meditate upon it to trust that God will be the one who satisfies our needs. God will be the one to bring about the things he says that he is going to bring about. And yet we constantly turn to other things that will only satisfy us for a moment. When Esau sold his birthright, he was going to get hungry again in just a few hours. Church, when we sin, when we fall into temptation and deception, remember this as well. We will too get hungry again. We will too get thirsty again. And there can be great consequences to all of this. Think about what this deception cost Jacob. He lived for many years in fear of his brother, in fear of his life. Now, later on, they did come together, and Jacob's life was spared. But imagine living years of your life in fear and running away, looking over your shoulder at every moment. He also never saw his mother again. He was alienated from his family. When God gives a promise, do we believe it? Do we believe God is going to fulfill that promise? And I know we live in a pretty dark world right now. There are things that go on and that we hear about on the news that scare us and that we don't truly understand, but the Bible says that God is going to take his enemies and use them as a footstool under his feet. And I ask you, do you believe that this morning? That's a promise of God. We confess that Jesus will return to judge the quick and the dead, and do you believe that? 
When we read the Apostles' Creed and we read those words, I believe, I believe, I believe, are those just empty words to us because we grew up saying them or we say them when we take communion, or do they speak the truth of our heart based on the faith that we have in God fulfilling his promises? So I think we have to ask this question this morning. When we look at Isaac's life and we look at what's going on here, how did Isaac make it on this list in Hebrews? After all this, when I pointed out just moments ago, moments of true faith that Isaac had in God, but remember that Hebrews says that the faith was in regards to things to come, the future, that Isaac came to the end of his life and had not received the blessings that were promised of God, that he would multiply his offspring and give them the lands, and that through his offspring all the nations of the world would be blessed. He didn't see that fulfilled. His father did not see that fulfilled, but he believed that it would happen. He believed in the promise yet to come. There is no true faith in believing what we fully understand already. That is why what we believe right here and right now is so important. Everybody is going to believe in Jesus on Judgment Day. Every single person will stand before him. Every single person will confess that he is Lord. But not all will enter into his kingdom. Those who believe in the promises of God now and look forward will be the ones to enter into that kingdom. Isaac, even though he tried to do things his own way, once he did it, and Esau came in and he realized that he had blessed Jacob, the Bible tells us this, that he trembled very violently. He knew what he had done. He realized God's will shall indeed be done. There's nothing that you or I can do to stop it. And there are people who read this story or the story of Joseph and his brothers and what happened in that and still believe that God isn't in total control of every aspect. That we can throw off the will of God. That God just looks down this corridor of time and sees the choices that we make and then he adjusts his will accordingly. But Isaac trembled when he realized what he had done. He realized this, and he did not try to reverse the blessing. Why? Because he knew that wouldn't do anything. But he showed true faith in submitting to God and his will. Isaac knew this, and he believed it. Calvin writes again of this blessing, When hence see that this blessing depended on faith, For Isaac had nothing which he could have bestowed on his children but the word of God. For some of us, this is all we have to give to our children. And let us not ever think that this is a poor inheritance to give. One who holds on to the promises and the holy word of the living God, though he has nothing, has gained everything. And to pass that on to our children is a command but it also holds so many blessings for the future. Isaac gives Jacob one more send-off in chapter 28, verses 1 through 4. Then Isaac calls Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, 
and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. A confirmation of Isaac's submission to the will of God and how things turned out. Isaac gave him the command, don't take a wife of paganism like your brother did. And then he repeats the covenant made to Abraham and himself. The torch was officially passed. Jacob was the one to carry on as God had already, always intended. And now this brings us to Jacob. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 21. Or verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now back to Genesis 28. Go from one end to the other today. Jacob has a dream in verses 10 through 15 where God comes to him and confirms the covenant and blessing upon him. After this, Jacob gets up and makes a vow to the Lord and then goes on his way. Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine as he's trying to get a wife. His uncle deceives him. He sees Rachel. She's the beautiful one. Wants her. Strikes a deal with Laban. I'll work for you for seven years. And it's amazing how we read this as, a, as single men and think that this is a little bit overkill. Seven years to work for one woman. It's a very long time. But then you have the rest of your life with her, which is good. I promise. <laughs> But I guess when you live longer back then, as it seems that they did, you have a little bit more room to move in the whole bachelor area. But now that I'm the father of two girls, I look at that seven years of working, and I don't think that's too bad at all. I have a yard that really needs work, and I don't think I'll be getting to it anytime soon. So he works seven years, and Laban gives him his eldest daughter, who the Bible says has weak eyes. He gives him to Jacob or her to Jacob instead. That's a shocking thing to wake up to. You go to bed thinking you're married to one woman, you wake up and you have weak eyes staring back at you. Sometimes the way the Bible describes things is quite entertaining. So Jacob is understandably a bit upset. And what does Laban say to Jacob in this situation? He says it's not customary to let the younger marry before the older. So Jacob, who deceived his own brother into getting the birthright that was due to the firstborn, according to their culture, he was given a wife because their customs say the younger should not be married before the older because it's her birthright. So he works another seven years and finally marries Rachel, but she can't conceive. Eventually, as we know, he had 12 sons and one daughter, Rachel bore him Joseph, whom he favored over all his other children because they came from the wife that he loved. And he should have learned that with his father favoring Esau, that he should not favor one over the other as well. But pastor will be preaching on Joseph here in the next couple weeks or so, so I won't give too much in this area, but I'll just talk about what is... Um, Relevant to chapter 21, we know that Joseph is hated by his brothers because of the favor of his father. They throw him into a pit, they plan to kill him, and then they end up selling him into slavery instead, get him to Egypt, 
He's accused of a crime. He's thrown in prison for many years. He's raised up out of that when he interprets two prisoners' dreams. Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. So Joseph steps up because of the, um, um, the cupbearer gives Pharaoh the, the recommendation. He interprets for Pharaoh, and he is raised to second in command of all of Egypt. His brothers come. He realizes it's them. They don't realize it's him. He tests them to see if they've changed. He realizes that they have, and then he brings his family to Egypt in order to save them. Now, Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is old, and he is with Joseph again. He tells Joseph of God appearing to him that day and confirming his promise of the covenant with him. Like Isaac, Jacob died without seeing the fulfillment of of the covenant promise, but he did die believing that it was true. Now, starting in verse 12 of chapter 48, we read this. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since, since, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. God's will, again, was done exactly as God willed it to be done. When Joseph tried to change it by pointing out what his father was doing, Jacob showed his faith by going through with the blessing of placing the younger over the older. Isaac, Jacob, and Ephraim were all second-born yet they inherited the blessings. God's plan and purpose for election go far beyond our own understandings or our own ideas of how things should be. And we have no room to ever complain or be angry or upset at how things go, but we must trust in God and his promises. Judah was the fourthborn of Jacob's sons and the son of Leah, the wife whom he hated. And yet it was through his children that Christ would eventually come. We don't get to have life all figured out. The moment we try is the moment we realize just how far off we are. What we are called to do is obey and trust in God that he will indeed bring to completion the great work that he has begun on the day of Christ Jesus. That he does work all things good, 
for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And the greatest promise of all, that God will save those who call out to him in repentance, that all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, that you will be adopted into the family of God and inherit the blessings that come with that. There is no deceiving our way into the kingdom. God will not and cannot be deceived. But there is a call for each one of us to come. And if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not repented of your sins and turned to him, I pray that today would be the day you cry out to the Lord. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ. For he is a good and merciful Savior. He is the one that the Old Testament saints like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked forward to the coming of. Jesus said that Abraham saw my day and was glad. And we now look back at the finished work of Christ and his resurrection so that we can too look forward to that blessed day when Christ comes again and we are all made new and perfect and glorious. And we can hear those seven words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. None of us deserve the grace that has been given to us. We are all wicked and sinful men. But by the grace and the love of God who has called us to himself, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ that we can stand before God blameless. And God so graciously gives us this grace to those who call upon his name. Let us pray. Father in heaven, As we look at your servants of the past, the faith of our fathers, we are left in awe of the way that you work things out for your own purposes, for your own good, and to your own glory. We see tales of undeserving and sinful men become redeemed, be lifted up, forgiven, and that we know that we too can be redeemed and lifted up and forgiven by the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy, the things that we don't deserve, but you still so freely give it. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you this time, we give you this worship, we pray that it would be glorifying to your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.